Okay. So we are now doing Thursday section of the Torah portion of Re'eh, this week's portion. And the portion today begins with verse 22, to take one-tenth of the entire crop of your plantings each year. This whole section is going to keep coming back to this theme of taking the tithe, one-tenth. Now Rashi questions, the previous verse, the last phrase of the previous verse was, yesterday's portion, don't cook the young animal in its mother's milk, the biblical prohibition of mixing milk and meat. This one speaks about tithing. So what's the link of the two? And the Rashi explains that it's as if God is saying to the Jewish people, if you don't properly tithe, take this tenth, I'm going to have to cook the tender young, just like it was saying of the young animal, don't cook it in its mother's milk. I'm going to cook this tender young crop still when it's inside the mother, so to speak, meaning within the husk. Because if you're not tithing properly, you're going to lose that crop. Now, the verse said you should take your entire crop year by year. So Rashi explains that we shouldn't take from the new for the old, meaning obviously we know that the crops have to be tithed every year. Year by year means that each tithe is distinct from that year. So products from one year's crop can't be given as tithe for another year. It's not like, well... I didn't use give last year, so I'm going to take off from this year's. The next verse. And you should eat it before God in the place he will choose to rest his name, the place of your grain, your wine, your oil, the firstborn of your cattle and your flocks, so that you will learn to fear God all the days. Zerash explains that what is it talking about here? You should eat it. We're talking about a tithe. So what tithe, tithe meaning one-tenth of your crops, what tithe are we eating? So this is the second tithe. Let me just now give sort of a broad explanation to clarify because we're going to be speaking this whole section about tithes. <laughs> so for a farmer in Israel, which of course most of the Jews were, every year besides the sabbatical year, they had to give two tithes, two-tenths of their crops, what's called the first tithe and the next tithe, which is generally called the second tithe. It's a cycle of seven years, the first, second, and fourth and fifth year of this cycle, you give one tithe, the first tenth to the levy. And then after that's given off, you give another tithe, which as Rashi is going to explain, as the verse says, is a tithe, one tenth, that you have to take and go, you and your family, whoever you want to feed, go eat it in Jerusalem. You're a farmer, you're living in the fields, you're away from the source of spirituality. Once a year, you come to Jerusalem, you sit, you eat, and hopefully you imbibe the holiness surrounding you. Two years of this seven-year cycle, the, the third and the sixth, the second tithe is not for you. The second tithe you give to the poor. So the first year, first tithe levy, second tithe you. Second year, the same. Third year, first tithe levy, second tithe poor. Fourth and fifth year, first tithe levy, second tithe you. And then again, in the sixth year, First tithe levy, second tithe poor. In the seventh year of the sabbatical year, you're not allowed to be harvesting in the formal way of an owner and making money off these fields. And therefore, there's absolutely no tithe. It's open for everyone, you and the levy and the poor, and everyone can eat it all the same. Okay. So that introduction, you'll understand very clearly. This Rashi, 
Now Rashi is sort of saying, what taste are we talking about here? That you should eat it before God. So it can't be the tithe to the Levi, because the Levi's tithe, you don't eat the Levi. And also, the Levi's tithe, he can eat anywhere. But this is a tithe you're supposed to eat, and you're supposed to uniquely eat in Jerusalem. So therefore, this must refer to the second tithe, the tithe I was just explaining you, that is, as the verse is saying, for you, take the tithe, and you go with your family and eat it. Now, which means, again, we're, we're giving you an obligation to go and be in this holy place, surrounded by holy people, which is why we're saying you should learn to fear God. Now, the next verse said, what if the road's too long for you? You can't carry it all. Because this place, you know, where God chose to place his name, meaning Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, is too far from you. If God's going to bless you so much. So Rashi explains, what does this mean? God's blessing you so much that you can't bring the tithes, the produce, to Jerusalem. That sounds like a little strange. God's giving you so much blessings, you can't bring the tithes to Jerusalem. What are we saying here? So Rashi explains the reason why you can't bring it, what's the blessing, and this is because you, your crops produce so much. So since you had such enormous bounty, to take one-tenth of that, after the first tenth was taken off, and carry it all and eat it all in Jerusalem is like too much. So what are you supposed to do? So the next verse says, you can exchange it. Exchange it for money, meaning sell it in your hometown. Take the money and go to Jerusalem with that money. Okay? So you have so much crops, there's no way you're going to eat them and there's no way you can carry them. You sell it, but that money for the sale, the next verse tells us, take that money, buy whatever you want. And then the verse specifies. Cattle, flock, wine, drink, anything you want to eat before God there. So in other words, you sold it, you can't put it in your bank account, and you can't build an addition to your house, and you can't pay off your debt. That money is uniquely for you to eat off of, to buy food in Jerusalem, in your Shalim. And so you're doing, in essence, the same thing you would have done before, just now you didn't have to carry the food, you could just carry the money. So Rashi explains, if we look at this verse, first it has sort of a broad statement, buy whatever you desire, and then it lists cattle, flock, wine, hard drinks. This is details. And then it goes back to the broad statement, anything you wish. This is the style. This is one of the styles of the 13 principles by which we learn at the Torah, which is first as a broad statement, and then there's particulars, and then there's a broad statement, called in Hebrew, klal, uprat, uklal. That's a principle of learning Torah, which teaches us that the broad statement includes everything essentially similar to the items mentioned in that particular detailed statement. Now, if we're looking here at what's detailed, Rashi explains that the list is very specific. It's not random, obviously. The list, again, was cattle, flock, wine, hard drinks. Rashi says all of those details are offsprings of the earth, meaning cattle, flocks, and the grapevines are all coming from the earth, as versus, let's say, fish. Fish comes from the water. Fish doesn't come from the earth. So cattle, flocks, and grapevines are all offsprings of the earth. So since they're offsprings of the earth, and not only that, but all of these things are fit to be eaten by people. So too this would create the broad statement that anything that has these two qualities, it's an offspring of the earth, 
and it's fit to be eaten by a person, because of course the whole purpose of this is to eat it, you can buy. In other words, we have the general statement, buy everything. Then we have the specifics, cattle, blocks, wine, hard drinks. Then we have the gen, general statement, everything your heart desires. So using the principle of how we learn this, we're understanding that the general statement is broadening the specifics, but within that same category. So what category do we glean from the specifics? Offspring of the earth, fit for human consumption. So that broad, comprehensive statement, anything your heart desires, means you don't just need to, what if you don't want to buy cattle? What if you don't want to buy flocks? What if you don't want to buy wine or drinks? No problem. You want to buy apples? That's fine too. Well, it wasn't on my list. Yeah, but it's an offspring of the earth and it's fit for human consumption. So the broad statements mean that as long as it has the same characteristics of the particulars, which it does here, apples would fit, you can use the money for that as well. The next verse, and the lady who's in your cities, don't forsake him. He doesn't have a portion or inheritance with you. The Rashi explains, what do you mean don't forsake him? Well, all these verses, we're talking about the second type, what you're going to take for yourself and use for food. Don't forget to give first the first tithe to the Levi. And then the fact that the verse said he has no portion with you hints that there are some things which are not supposed to be tithed, meaning we have certain gifts we give to the poor or to the Levi. These are three types of gifts. Leket means if one or two stocks fall away at the time of reaping, they have to be left for the poor. Shechacham means if you forgot a bundle of stocks at the harvest, you have to leave it for the poor. And peya means every field has to have a corner that you leave for the poor. So those three broad categories of leket, shechacham, and peya, they're ownerless. So your portion in them is just like the levy's portion in them, like anyone's portion in them. So these three types of grains are not subject to tithing, meaning if you took a corner of your field and you said, okay, this is the paya, this is the corner, anyone who needs food can come and eat from this corner, when I'm calculating the tenth I owe the levy and the tenth I'm going to afterwards have to take to Jerusalem, that corner's produce doesn't count because it's not mine. It became as ownerless as the levy we're being told we have to support because he is landless. It's the exact same idea. Okay, the next verse, at the end of every three years, take out every tithe of your crop and set it down within your cities. The Rashi says, this is telling you that if you delayed giving the tithe, meaning you put them aside, you just never do what you're supposed to do with them, so you have to remove them from your house by the third year. On the day before Passover, Following the third year, all tithes must be removed from your house. Then the next verse, then the lady shall come, because again, he doesn't have his own land, and the convert, and the orphan, and the widow, and they should eat and be satisfied in order that God should bless you in everything you do. So what are we talking about here? So first, the lady comes, okay? You harvested your crops, the lady comes to get his first tithe. But then we say the convert, and the orphan, and the widow, they're taking the second tithe because in the third year and in the sixth year, remember, that's not yours for you to go to Jerusalem and eat. That's for the poor people to have. And they should eat and be satisfied 
means we have to give them enough to eat and be satisfied. We should make sure that they have enough amount, and there's a specific amount they have to receive. It's called uh, a, a half a cub of wheat or, half, or a cub of barley. A cub is a measurement of volume, either one and a half quarts or 2.65 quarts. So you have to give them enough that they should be full. And after the third year, you are going to again take to Jerusalem the second tithe of the first and second year that you did not bring on time. You should be able to say to God, I took everything out of the house that I was supposed to. I did all I was supposed to. I gave my first tithe to the levy, first year, second year, fourth year, fifth year, I brought my second tithe to Jerusalem. Third year, sixth year, I gave them to the poor. I treated my crops as you, God, are ordaining. And through this, this brings the blessings in all that we do. When we do it God's way, this brings the blessings in all that we do.